Well, I'm so excited to kick off a new teaching series today called Frontline Family. Because the front line for our defense against the enemy's attacks are our homes, our families, our children, our grandchildren. Bell Shoals is a family of families. And as a family of families, we understand that when the enemy comes to attack, he doesn't just come to attack a large collective group that meets in various locations on Sunday mornings. He's coming to attack us in our homes, our families, our witness, our children, our grandchildren. And so this series called Frontline Family is, is going to examine what it looks like to counter the enemy's attacks, to counter this tidal wave of cultural pressure about what it means to be men and women, what it means to, to have families that honor the Lord and fulfill His plan for us, that reflect his design. This series is going to be about really countering the enemy's attacks that we see so prevalent in our society. And so we're going to, we're, we're going to talk this week about manhood, what it, what it means to be a man who honors the Lord and carries out a God-given design. Next week, we're going to talk about womanhood, what it looks like to be a woman that, that honors the Lord and fulfills his Purpose, And then the last week we'll talk about family in general, children and parenting and shepherding the next generation and how we counter this current world system that is seeking to undermine the role of parents. And so this is going to be a really important few weeks for us as we think about what it means to be literally on the front line of the enemy and his attacks. And so as we think about manhood today, right, we think about kind of the starting point. When God first created us, he created man. And, and, and there are some things that we learn throughout God's word and throughout human history about what it means to, to, to function, to operate as a man. We, we have to first acknowledge there's a lot of confusion in our society. In fact, there's more confusion today than there has ever been in the history of the world about what it means to be a man. And there are at least two reasons for this. Let me highlight two. First of all, some people measure masculinity through the lens of activity or by the absence of emotion. Some of you maybe grew up in a home where masculinity was defined more by activity or by the absence of emotion. In other words, you heard things like this, men don't cry. <laughs> like. Like to be a man, like you don't tell people that you love them, right? Like you don't show any emotion. Like you always have to be stoic. You're always in control. You have to put on this front, this persona, or maybe kind of connected to that. You grew up with some understanding of masculinity or manhood that was rooted more in activity, right? Like men hunt, men kill. Men take what they kill and they put it on their walls, right? Except that we always leave out of that equation that, that men kill in stands that are heated with camouflage and feeding plots 
where they take these animals. Men don't do what David did and kill lions and bears with their own hands. And maybe that was your understanding of like masculinity. Like if I'm gonna be a man, I don't cry, I don't show emotion, I'm always in control, right? Like I'm, I'm out front, I'm in charge and, and I play sports or I hunt, I kill, I do something that, that shows real masculinity, real manhood. And, and the problem with this is that actually real men do cry at times, like Jesus wept at times. Right, like real men like aren't truly defined by activity because we have like David who yes, like killed lions and bears with his own hands, but then who also played musical instruments and wrote poetry. And I don't think anybody's gonna get to heaven one day and stand before King David and say, you big sissy, you and all of your songs. Right? Like, I ain't saying that to David. The dude killed literally lions. It's possible that David wore skinny jeans while killing the lions. It's possible because he was like a musician and a warrior and he was like all these things wrapped up into one. And so here's the thing. Every culture has these certain external diagnostics that are used to attach meaning and significance to masculinity or femininity. And listen, these are shallow, superficial, and just largely wrong, okay? We, we can't define manhood as activity or the absence of emotion. If you grew up in that culture, right, if you grew up in that context, like there's, there's more to being a man than never crying and killing things or playing sports, right? Like, like there's, it's not about activity or the absence of emotion. Okay, now, secondly, here's, here's the second misnomer in our culture. This is the other end of the spectrum. And this is kind of where we are today. This is like five years old kind of thing, but a lot of people are buying into this. Here, here's the other problem that we have is that there is no difference between men and women at all and gender is a fluid construct. This is the other end of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is, well, men are warriors only and they play sports and, you know, manhood's defined by the lack of emotion and the presence of activity and certain activities. And the other end of the spectrum is, well, no, there's really no difference between men and women and you can pretty much identify as either. Gender is a fluid construct and there are many today who would define manhood simply as those who identify as men. Well, that has a lot of problems. That does not reflect reality. That is a complete denial of how we are made and why we are made like we are made. And, and so here's the thing. When we think about being on the front lines, we think about teaching and training the next generation. We think about fulfilling God's role in our homes we, we have to start with, well, what does it mean as men to be men? What does it mean to shape the thinking of our children, our grandchildren who are told repeatedly today that, well, there is no difference between men and women. What, what does this look like? And, 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 and here's, here's, here's what I'm, I'm gonna try very, very hard to communicate clearly over the next few weeks. Listen, we have a creator and a designer who has made us men and women for a reason. And we have to decide, are we gonna lean more into human reason or God's revelation and our understanding of what it means to be men, women, 
and what it means to be a family unit that reflects his glory. We're going to have to make that decision. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> whenever my wife brings home a beautiful piece of furniture from Ikea. <laughs> now, when that happens, not only do I um, regret getting married, but um, I, um, <laughs> I then, then am faced with a daunting task, okay? If some of you have been there, of putting this thing together. And now here's how I do it, okay? Let me tell you how I put together Ikea furniture, okay? I start with the front page of the instructions. And everything comes pre-drilled. It comes with the tools. It comes with the, you know, the nuts and the bolts. And I have a PhD. This can't be that difficult. And this has happened, I'm just going to tell you, multiple times. I get started, I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. Whoosh. I don't need those instructions anymore. And then you go, this ever happened to you? And you realize like there's one piece in the middle of whatever you're putting together that's supposed to be turned a certain direction, and I, but it fits together the opposite direction because the people who design this stuff are cruel. And so it actually works in the opposite direction and you don't know that you put it together in the opposite direction until you get the whole thing together and you're finalizing it and you gotta nail that stupid piece of paper on the back of it. And then you're like, oh no, I got the middle part and so I have to take it all down, right? And then in those moments, I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit who in my home is named Christina, okay? <laughs> I'm reminded with something like this. Hey, Corey, do you think that the people who designed the furniture, made the furniture, gave you directions on how to put the furniture together, might know a little bit more about it than you. <laughs> Maybe you should follow the directions, right? And I think about where we are culturally. I think about the madness that's out there. I think about the misunderstanding. Here's, here's, here's my premise, okay? Do you think that the creator of the world, that the maker of men and women have so designed us in such a way that when we think about what it means to function as men and women in families, that maybe we should lean into the one who made us and gave us the instruction manual a little more than our own human reason, right? Like we gotta lean into the one that made us the one who knows what's best for us. That's my starting point. And that's all of our starting point for those of us on the front line. And so what does it look like to be a man? Let's start with that. What does it mean? Well, first of all, take this down. Let me, let me show you the first thing, okay? <laughs> to be a man, I can't believe I have to say this, is to be a male. <laughs> <laughs> If you had told me 10 years ago that this would be an important part of my teaching ministry, I would have thought you're nuts. But that's where we are. It is not a given to your children and your grandchildren who are raised in this society that to be a man is to be a male. Because so much of what they're being taught and so much of what they're picking up on that you don't think they're picking up on is that there really isn't a big difference between a male and a female. And you can be either one if that's how you choose to identify yourself. The problem with that is 
You can't go against the grain of how God has put you together and be fulfilled. And so we have to start here, and, and, and this is serious, right? I mean, it's a little stunning, but it's serious. To be a man is to be a male. Now, let me show this to you in Genesis 1.26, right? Here, here's what happened. God said, let us make man in our image, right? We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have God, one and three, three and one, creating the world out of nothing, okay? And, and, and when God gets kind of the crowning jewel of his creative activity, it's you and me. It's, it's, it's mankind made in his image. Now, here's what happens. So God says, let, let, let's make Man, mankind, according to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures that crawl on the earth. In other words, there's a huge difference between people and animals. <laughs> okay? We bear the image of God. We reflect God's glory. We have the ability to relate to God in ways that no one else does. We have a conscience that no other creature has, okay? We have spiritual antenna, right? We, we will live forever. There, there are all these dynamics related to human beings. We are different. Those who try to make men the same as animals are crazy, okay? There's, there, there are massive differences that can only be explained by the image of God. And so he, look at this. So God said, we're going to make mankind different than everything else we've made that lives on the earth. So look at verse 27 now. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. Watch this, male and female. Different by design. Like different day one. Men and women are different, created different. And this speaks to substantive biology, not subjective identity. We have a lot of people today who tragically are telling themselves that there's someone they're not. Leaning into subjective identity and ignoring substantive biology. With this movement, I, I actually think and I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we're gonna look back on this era and see the madness that is unfolding. But for now, it unfolds before us with this subjective identity trumping substantive biology and we're ignoring things like, by the way, biologically with our DNA, men and women are different. Human females possess two X chromosomes on their 23rd pair of chromosomes, while males possess an X and a Y. That's a really big deal. A hundred years after you die, someone could exhume your remains, extract your DNA, and know whether or not you were a biological male or a biological female. All of us in the room today and watching online today in our 23rd pair of chromosomes have two X's or one X and one Y. It's that simple. The way our chromosomes are structured, the way our DNA is structured, there are differences between males and females. To be a man is to be a male. That means in the 23rd pair of chromosomes, you have one X and one why. You, you may have also discerned that just the way we're structured, we're different. Let's just take the brain, right? 
the, the National Center for Biotechnology Information, okay, a secular organization, says this, quote, of particular interest are differences between men and women that have been identified in the brain. Although the brains of men and women are highly similar, they show consistent differences that have important implications for each. Stanford Medicine says this, why, why are men's and women's brains different? Well, in females, the primary additives are a few members of the set of molecules called estrogen, along with another molecule called progesterone, and in males, testosterone and a few lookalikes collectively deemed androgens. Our brains are different, wired a little bit different, different hormones, right? Stanford Medicine goes on to say, brain imaging studies indicate that these differences extend well beyond strictly the reproductive domain. Adjusted for total brain size, men's brains are typically larger than women's. I'm just quoting the research here, people. But, but a woman's hippocampus, critical to learning and memorization, is larger than a man's and works differently. The two hemispheres of a woman's brain talk to each other more. Of course they do. <laughs> I mean, we need a study to tell us that. <laughs> And in 2014, a study revealed that females' brains consistently show more strongly coordinated activity between the two hemispheres, while males, a male's brain activity was more tightly coordinated within local brain regions. So here's the bottom line. Men have larger brains, but women actually use their brain more. Okay? I think that's kind of the bottom line. All right? <laughs> I don't think we need all this research to tell us that, but that's kind of where we are. And the bottom line is, guess what? Biologically, with how we are made and put together, men and women are different. I understand there are men and women today struggling because of a broken world with their identity. I understand that that struggle is real for many people. The answer is not to go against the grain of how we are put together. That will never lead to the fulfillment that that identity struggle desires. And, and so our biology matters. Our biology reflects God's design. From the very beginning, Genesis 1 saying, we're going to create mankind unique and different from everything else. And we're going to create mankind in this way, that there's going to be a man, there's going to be a woman, male and female. So first takeaway, all right, to be a man is to be a male. Our kids need to hear this, the rationale behind it, right? God's design behind it. This is a really big deal that we understand. We are created male and female, and this has tremendous implications, okay? But secondly, just, just make a note of this, okay? Guys, now just to me and you, to be a male, though, does not necessarily make you a man. To be a man is to be a male, but to be a male does not necessarily make you a man. One of the things we're struggling with in our society is the presence of grown males who are not yet men. And, and we see this reflected in scripture. Let me give you just two examples. Ezekiel 22, okay? I, I search for a man. 
I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one, the Lord says. I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap. I'm looking for someone who will do the right thing. I'm looking for someone who will lead the nation toward me. I'm looking for a man. I don't find one. It's not that there weren't males running around. There were plenty of males. There weren't any men. 1 Corinthians 16, I love this. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. Some of you are thinking, yeah, let's go hunting after service. (laughs) We'll act like men. No. Now there's a lot more to manhood than some type of defined activities I've already said. You can be a male and not yet be a man. And so then that begs the question, then what does it mean to be a biological male who's grown into a man and thus fulfilled the plan and the purpose of God? Because hear me, we need more men on the front line. We need more men to lead. And so what does that look like? Okay, just, just write this down. I'm gonna break it down for you. Here we go. Manhood then, biblical manhood. You gotta be a male <laughs> to get in the club, all right? Uh, to be a man is to be a male, but to be a male is not necessarily a given that you are yet a man. So what, what, what does it mean on God's terms that we're men? Okay, well, manhood is assuming responsibility for your family's three things, provision, protection, and direction. Write that down. Men, I am responsible for my family's provision, protection, and direction. That's my responsibility. I know in our world today, there's a lot of media designed now to show us that women are the true warriors. That men are failures, that dad is dumb, that daughter knows best, that women are the equal warriors of men who can save the world and lead the family forward. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you the way God has designed men is for us to assume responsibility for provision, protection, and direction. And if you want to get those roles reversed between manhood and womanhood and what it means to be a godly husband or a godly wife, then it's going to put some things out of kilter in your family and it's going to create a little bit of chaos or a lot of chaos. And what we need today is to recapture God's design, which is to encourage an understanding of manhood that is rooted in provision, protection, direction to where the family is fulfilled and everyone is encouraged. And so, so men, let me, let me kind of break down just these three areas quickly. I want you to see from God's word how he's, he's wired us for this. This is our role. And if this is not the role that we're fulfilling, then we, we need to take some inventory because, because this is what we are wired to do. To provide, to protect, and to direct, to lead our wives, to lead our children, to lead forward, not abusively, not arrogantly, but, but sacrificially. This is the model of Jesus, but to lead, to move forward, to provide, to protect, right? And so this is not right, like what some churches do, right? We're like, you, know, you ever notice this? Mother's Day is, moms, we love you, you're the best, couldn't live without you. Father's Day, you are a horrible dad. 
and you gotta do better. No, 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 the guys, listen, this is, man, this is God's given us a playbook, a design. He's wired us, made us a certain way. Man, let's lean into that, be encouraged in that and, and excel in that. So this, this, is, this is intended to be encouraging, motivating, inspiring. This is God's design for us. And let me take you back to the very first man, Adam. And we see in him both good and bad, what it looks like to fulfill the role, okay? And I just want to point out to you, when God tasked Adam with these responsibilities, at the time he was a single man. And as a single man, God put him in charge of some things, to be responsible for some things that were incredibly important. And, and so this is from the very beginning, right? So, so let me break it down. Number one, provision. Let's talk about provision. Let me take you to Genesis 2. All right. Now look, so the Lord took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to watch over it. Adam is a single man, long before Eve came into the picture, right? Adam was expected to work hard. Adam was expected to, to oversee and exercise godly dominion over what God put him in charge of. This is like implicit in what it means to be a man, that you take responsibility for your life, you work hard, right? Like you're not lazy, you're not just trying to get by. Like to be a man means that you are dedicated to providing for yourself and others, and that that you are responsible to work, not to make excuses, and to do whatever you have to do to provide for yourself and those who are under your care. Men don't make excuses. Men don't evade responsibility. Men provide. They work hard. They, they don't work Foolishly, We've talked about that recently in such a way that we neglect the other important things in our lives, but we, 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 we provide, we work. The Lord took the man, placed him in the garden and said, work it, watch over it. He's to exercise dominion over all the other creatures that God made. This is a part of God's design. That's why, ladies, those of you who are single and you're looking for Mr. Right, that's why you've heard me say in the past and you're going to hear me say it in the future that number one is you're looking for a husband, he better love Jesus. I'm not talking about he goes to church. I'm not talking about he was in vacation Bible school as a kid. I've heard all these things. Well, he goes to church on Easter. Okay. Does he love Jesus? Number two, does he work? Well, he's in between jobs, has been since 18. Does he work? Any of you losers interested in one of my girls, you come over to my house, you better have a J-O-B. Because they ain't staying on my payroll forever. Right? Like what does that indicate? Like someone who understands how God's put a man together. Like to exercise dominion, not abusively, not irresponsibly, not arrogantly, but diligently. Like work. Don't make excuses. Like, this is built into who we are, right? Like, this is Adam as a single man before he got married. Like, he's expected to provide, like, to tend to what God had made. That's why the great Charles Spurgeon years ago said this. Listen to this. He said, some occupation is necessary for happiness. Lazy people would not enjoy even Eden itself. That's a great word. Lazy people would not enjoy the Garden of Eden. And, and Charles Spurgeon said this, a perfect man is a working man. So we're thinking, about, okay, there's a difference between men and women. 
right? The, 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 our society's understanding both in terms of manhood rooted in activity and manhood rooted in just your own identity, right? This is craziness. Okay, no, it, there's something to being a male and to be a man then, okay, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna provide, I'm gonna assume this responsibility for myself and my family provision. Secondly, protection. I'm also going to be on the front line, actively engaged as a husband, actively engaged as a father. And I'm gonna protect my family. Which by the way is the reason Paul in Ephesians 6 says fathers. Fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not that mothers aren't involved. It's that men, fathers, we're responsible to protect our family. And this is where we see Adam's greatest failure. It wasn't a failure of provision. It was a failure of protection. Let me remind you what the Lord said to Adam. Again, this is before, long before the temptation. The Lord God commanded the man, you're, to, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree, right, of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. We know that Adam communicates this to Eve because after they're brought together, of course, right? And then because Eve, when she's tempted by the serpent, says to him, she actually adds to this. She says, no, 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 I'm not allowed, not, not allowed to eat of this fruit or even touch it. Now, why did Eve say that? Maybe it was just, maybe it was just kind of her own understanding or possibly it was Adam, her husband, saying to her, Eve, listen, we cannot eat of the fruit of this tree. We can't even touch it. Maybe that's what he told her. So we know that he communicated the right thing because she communicates, right, at least the heart of what God said. Now she added to it a little bit, but, but it was in the right vein of like, yeah, don't mess with this fruit, don't eat this fruit. And then the devil tempts her, right, and the devil gives to her. She's fooled and deceived. Where is Adam? Because by the time that she gives to him, he's clearly in close proximity because it's like he's watching her to see if she falls over and the Lord's gonna have to make another one. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, we almost get the idea, like, like, like she's there, she's got the fruit. I'm standing over here like, well, we about to find out what happens there. <laughs> First one was a brunette. Maybe the second one will be a blonde. I don't know. I mean, like, like where is Adam? Because she eats and then she gives to him. And his greatest failure is a failure of protection. And when the Lord shows up, here's what happens, right? So the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord called out to who? The man. You know why the Lord called out to the man? because he was responsible for his family. And he let the devil into the garden and he let his wife be tempted and he let her eat and he ate with her. And when the Lord came calling, it's not that Eve wasn't responsible for her own actions, she was. And she, as we know, is judged for her actions. But she wasn't ultimately responsible for her family. The Lord says to Adam, where are you? And that question is not a question about Adam's location. The Lord knew full well where Adam was. 
It was a question about Adam's situation. He abandoned his role and his responsibility to lead and protect his wife. And thus the question, where are you? And guys, listen to me. The devil is still out there and at work in the world and he is doing everything he can with his legions to gain a hearing with your family today. He's trying to lean into your wife. He's tried to, trying to infiltrate the minds of your children And the last thing we want to hear is where were you? The devil is very active in our society to distort the minds of your children. It's, it's coming through media, technology. It's coming through the phones you place in their hands. The friends that you allow them to be with the education that they are provided. Where are you? It's not that we need to go to extremes or it's not that we need to overreact. Again, it's not that we should ever lead poorly, angrily. But men, our families need our protection. We need to lean in to the dangers that are there and we need to make this commitment. The devil is not welcome in our section of the garden. He's not welcome in my house. He's not welcome to come to my children through their phones, through their gaming system, through their media options. I may have to say to my children, I'm sorry, you can't go over to this person's house on Friday night. We don't know the rest of the kids who were there. Well, all my other friends can be there. And that's where the Lord has said in his word, somewhere in the scripture, I haven't found it yet, but if all your other friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? It's in the Bible somewhere. My parents quoted it to me a lot. Being a man means you are a male, <laughs> but it also means you understand God's wired you to work and God has wired you to protect and in order for you to be your family's protector, you can't always be the one who's most popular. And that's okay. So what does it mean to be a man on the front lines? Well, provision, protection, finally, direction. Direction. Here's what I mean by this. We lead forward, men. We take our family in a direction that's consistent with God's will and God's design. We have to lead forward. Doesn't mean we're all pastors. Doesn't mean we're all missionaries or church planners. That's not what this means. It means every single one of us are leading our families on a path forward into what is best. And listen to me, in my family, my kids don't call me pastor. They don't call me doctor. They call me dad. And what my kids need from me is the same thing your kids need from you. They need godly leadership, not in the form of a sermon, but in the form of meaningful, active engagement, involvement, conversations, protection, right? Hey, you're leading your families forward. Maybe you mess up. I do. Listen, we don't always get it right, but, but, but I just want you to understand that it's so important that we do our best, that we try. I'd, I'd rather try and fail than not try at all. 
because someone's leading your family. Your children are leaning into ideologies and influences. We know that when they get to the teenage years, they're going to do that more and more and more. That's just, that's just the circle of life, so to speak, right? I mean, that's just like they're, they're, they're going to they're, they're have an identity shift in those teenage years from parent to peer. But, 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 but that doesn't mean that we just stop trying. And, and, and so, so what this looks like is we're, we're going to set a direction, right? Like we're, we're going to lead our families to worship and serve through the local church. Like we're, 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 we're going to manage our schedule and our time. Like we're going to speak into things where it's not just always mom having to do it. Like, like, like we're, we're just, we're, we're setting a direction. We're moving and leading forward. And, and we get this, listen, this is clear in Scripture. Let me show you 1 Corinthians 11. Look, Paul says, I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Let me just leave this up here. Ladies, I just want you, God is not saying here that you are less significant than your husband. That's not what he's saying. We are equal in essence. Listen, we are not equal in role. We don't have the same role. And right here is the evidence of what, what I'm saying. God is the head of Christ. We're not saying that the Father is more God than Jesus. That's heresy. What we're saying is what Jesus said. I have come to do the will of my Father. That there's just a difference in role. And so this statement that Christ is the head of the, uh, of, of the church, right, and that every man, that the man is the head of the woman, this is not about, okay, well, the woman is less human than the man or less important to the Lord. That's not what he's saying. Well, the, the point is though that men as the head of their home, the head of the woman have a role and a responsibility to fulfill. What is that? Well, I've shown you. It's to provide, to protect, and to direct, to lead. This is the idea of headship. Okay, let me reinforce this. 1 Corinthians eleven eight. 8. Okay, check this out. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. But in the Lord, look at this. Woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. So this is not about one sex being more important to God than the other. That's not what this is about. This is about every single one of us have a role. And this idea of headship is an idea about role, what it looks like men for us to direct, not to boss, not to abuse. Ephesians 5, through sacrifice, through service, through unconditional love, through our example, we lead. And that's what the church of the Lord Jesus needs, men to lead. That's what our country needs, men to lead sacrificially, selflessly, but yet diligently, boldly, courageously, with conviction, provision, protection, direction moving forward. Listen, this idea of headship, we, we see it in the world today, right? Like you, you take a football team that's not doing very well. You have a lot of people responsible, a lot of people with equal value, like equal significance. They all have a role to play. But when the team isn't playing well, what happens? The coach gets fired. The team doesn't get fired. The coach gets fired. Well, is the coach more important than the quarterback? No, but they have a different role. What's the coach's role? To organize, set a vision and direction, to train, to motivate, right? When that's not happening, the coach goes. When the team isn't playing well, maybe they have a bad kicker, missed four kicks in a row. Coach is going. And, and that's why when Adam is there with Eve, 
They're hiding in the garden because he was a coward and he failed to protect. When the Lord showed up, he said, Adam, where are you? And so here's my encouragement to you today. To see manhood for what it is, it's, yes, you're a male. You have an X and a Y in your 23rd pair of chromosomes. But you can be a male, not a man. And so to be a man, it means I'm going to work hard and accept responsibility for my life. I'm going to protect my family. And I'm going to lead them in a direction that realizes God's very best. And so here's how we respond. A couple things. First of all, ladies, those of you who are single, maybe looking for a man. (laughs) These are the three things you're looking for. May I just encourage you don't compromise. You're better off to be single, you and the Lord fulfilling your role in the world, not connected to the wrong man. And to wait for the right one. What does the right one look like? These are the three areas, provision, protection, direction. Secondly, those of you ladies who are married, we're gonna talk about womanhood next week and how that is a part of God's design. But can I just encourage you this week to encourage your husband in these three areas. If you get in the car on your way home from church, you're like, did you hear point number three on that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's not not what we're going for here. (laughs) Okay, if you've already sent him a text message today, no, that's not what we're going for, all right? Hey, your husband needs your encouragement. Let me just tell you, it's, um, it's hard to lead. I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for your husband, but I'll just say, man, this whole kid thing, it's not always immediately obvious what the best course forward is. I mean, are they good friends, bad friends, fam? Like, I mean, this song, Navigating Technology and Their Identity Issues and all that. I mean, it's hard. And I don't have any doubt that your husband feels the weight of his leadership And so can I just encourage you to encourage him? He's not perfect, but encourage him. Third, men, if you're single, let me talk to those who are single today. Hey, listen, don't you think for one moment that as soon as you get married, you can become what I'm talking about. You better work in that direction now. And can I encourage you to be who you need to be when you're married now as one who is single? If you think that you get married one day and all of a sudden, you know, you just become this amazing person. No, you get married to have all these things pointed out in you that you need to improve them. Okay, that's why you get married. Okay, (laughs) so here's my advice. Work on all this now while you have a chance. And there'll be less to point out later. Be now who you need to be then. And finally, men, we're married, children, maybe grandchildren, right? Here's my encouragement. We're not perfect. But let's just, let's just take seriously the way God's wired us to provide, to protect, and to direct. And let me challenge every single one of us, guys. Let's keep the devil out of our section of the garden. Let's keep him out. We're on the front line. And God's res- given us the responsibility to lead. And let's do it together. That's what the pathway is all about here at Bell Shoals. Worship, connect, serve, and grow. It's what our D groups are all about. Just come alongside and 
groups of us in four or five or six, man, we're doing life together. That's a path for you to really grow. And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I feel like I'm messed up. I feel like I'm looking back over five or 10 years and I haven't been doing this right. Hey, here's some good news, okay? You're like, you're like the first Adam. You're in good company. We're all like that first Adam. But can I give you some good news today? There's a second Adam. And the first Adam messed us up, but the second Adam came to clean us up. And the second Adam, his name is Jesus, right? <laughs> and he did what the first Adam could not do. He's our example. He's our savior. And if you're not connected to him today, let me, let me urge you to do that. I'll be standing out in the welcome hall as you leave today with members of our connection team. We're here for you. To pray for you, to encourage you. Listen, you're in a long line of first Adams. Our hope and our example is the second Adam. And by his grace and the power of his spirit, we can do this. Be on the front lines and lead our wives and our children where they need to be and um, to see God's glory.